how could you know one of these guys like look themselves in the mirror and be like yes i'm going to the office today to do this and to me a part of it seems like well if it goes the way people fear uh there'll be no accountability i'm not gonna have to answer to anybody about it so let's go i'm not saying that's what they think but here's one kind of game theoretic way uh, of looking at it so if i think it's going to happen we cannot solve that problem, it's uncontrollable, and it will cause existential crises. Saying that will not give me any benefits because no one's going to be there to say, you were right. Do you think it is a fair statement to say that these guys, the guys at the head of these companies are, are the most important humans who've ever lived? I mean, it really depends on how you measure importance, right? Are they replaceable? If they were gone, would anything change in the direction of this industry? Can they be replaced? Can Dario be replaced with his sister? I don't know. Seems like uh, they kind of subject to those same incentives and profit. Uh, most people, they uh, become prominent in this field by first contributing to capabilities significantly and then saying, oh, this is very bad. We shouldn't have done that. Do you think the guys who are doing all the capability stuff are ever going to get to that, ooh, it's really bad? But will it be too late at that point? I mean, at some point you definitely get there, but it may be a point of no return. So you think any governmental regulation is essentially theater? Well, again, I want to see an example of a technological issue where government's regulation made a difference. So spam and viruses are obvious examples. Is there anything a bad actor could do that could create extinction? So I, I think at lower level intelligence, bad actor can provide malevolent payload and malevolent goals. I think at full super intelligence, it doesn't matter who created it. If it's uncontrolled and independent, it's completely irrelevant what the origins are. It will start from basic first principles of physics and discover the whole universe of knowledge and decide what to do on its own. Welcome to For Humanity, an AI safety podcast, episode five, Roman Yampolsky interview, part two. I'm John Sherman, your host. Thanks so much for joining me. This is the AI safety podcast for the general public. No tech background required. We're here today to talk about, as always, the greatest threat to humanity in our more than 100,000 years on the planet, the threat of human extinction from artificial intelligence. Today, we're going to have the second part of my interview with Dr. Roman Yampolsky, who is the director of the Cybersecurity Laboratory at the University of Louisville and a renowned AI safety researcher. Today with Roman, we're going to talk about what is at the core of AI safety risk skepticism. We're going to talk about would it make any difference if there were different people at the helm of the top AI companies. We're going to talk about what you and I should make of the fact that there is a pretty broad difference of opinion even amongst the AI leaders themselves about what is going to happen and what we should do about it. We'll talk about why journalism is failing miserably writ large to address AI safety and we're going to talk about a drastic step the federal government could take to really make a big difference here. So here is the second part of my interview with Dr. Roman Yampolsky. Do you think Sam Altman sleeps well at night? 
I don't want to comment on his sleeping patterns at all. <laughs> That's fine. But do you think do you think these guys ever you know have these moments where they question themselves, or is it just this uber confidence of like we're the ones that are meant to do this, so we're going to go do this? I honestly don't know. I'm not close friends with with him, so it's hard for me to say anything. I know his public statements indicate that he knows about the dangers. He gives high probability to dangers. He takes them seriously, given the investment in safety teams and super intelligence alignment teams and so on. So uh, it's, it's hard for me to understand, but then I don't understand people who climb Mount Everest, a bungee jump or do any of those things. So. I'm not uh, exactly very good at understanding how a human cyber. I'm not value aligned with 8 billion people. How many actual humans are making the most important decisions about these things? Like in my mind, it is 5, 10, 20, 30 people, 50 people that are like actual decision makers, you know, who could say, you know what? we're going to switch from being 99 to one capabilities to safety to 50, 50 or 60, 40, or, or, you know, anything more reasonable than 99 to one. I don't know if it's a very meaningful distinction. Most uh, industry safety work is by definition capabilities work. Very few people I know who are AI safety researchers have not contributed anything to capabilities work. So Yudkovsky may be an example who never did technical capabilities work. Obviously, his writing may have uh, sped up interest in AGI and superintelligence. I am another one. But uh, most people, they uh, become prominent in this field by first contributing to capabilities significantly and then saying, oh, this is very bad. We shouldn't have done that. Do you think the guys who are doing all the capability stuff are ever going to get to that, ooh, it's really bad? But will it be too late at that point? I mean, at some point you definitely get there, but it may be a point of no return. Yeah. Do you think it is a fair statement to say that these guys, Sam Altman, Dario Amadei, the, the guys at the head of these companies are, are the most important humans who've ever lived? I mean, it really depends on how you measure importance, right? Are they replaceable? If they were gone, would anything change in the direction of this industry? Can they be replaced? Can Dario be replaced with his sister? I don't know. Seems like uh, they kind of subject to those same incentives and profits, and they may make a difference in terms of specific turn-by-turn -turn decisions of running the company, but overall trend would be exactly the same, I think. So the machine is just rolling downhill. Doesn't matter who's in the driver's seat. The machine's going to roll down. It seems like there is this race to the bottom. A lot of corporations, a lot of money trying to get there first. And it doesn't really matter who wins the race. Everyone loses. Do you have a prediction for the arrival of AGI, like a, like a time prediction? Not really. Uh, I mean, it's, again, very hard to predict. Some people saying we have AGI right now. That's what GPT-4 is. It already is general in thousands of domains. It learns from new examples, maybe a bit of training and optimizing. Maybe we should see it as a child AGI, which is growing up and maturing instead of not uh, general at all. Uh, would I be surprised if GPT-5 had general capabilities, no, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it took to six, seven, or even eight. 
how, what will you feel in your heart when they say ChatGPT5 is ready for release? Here it is. So that was kind of the same thing I felt with GPT-4, right? The predictions were, and I always ask on my social media, I ask people make a prediction about the next model and people are not very creative. As I said, they can't predict what the systems will be capable of. They always just say it will be better at the things previous model could do. So now it makes fewer bugs in programming. Um, I, I predict super intelligent capabilities in many domains. I think it will still have weak spots thinks it's not quite getting just right, especially with uh, anything multimodal cross domain seems to be difficult, but I have no idea. I have no idea what the state of the current training run is in some of those companies. If they were way closer than anybody knew, is there any incentive for them to tell anyone? I mean, if you claim you're about to release a kind of killer product, no pun intended. Uh, it's very good for getting additional investments. Okay. So that would be an incentive to, to say we're, we're close. Come yeah, on, like we need another cash. 10 billion to scale this to all the users. We are, you know, six months away from that level of capability. Sure. So if all humans go extinct, there will be no accountability from the people who caused it because we'll all just be dead. So it's not like Sam Altman is ever going to have to answer to his kids about why he did what he did. Is that a part of this? Like, like it's, it's the first thing in history where there's no reputational damage because there's no reputations because there's no one. But there is also no glory in being the bad guy. Like we, we all study, you know, history books. We know about Napoleon, Hitler, at least they made it into history books. You wouldn't have history books. Right. So as I think to I think to myself, like, how could how could, you know, one of these guys like look themselves in the mirror and be like, yes, I'm going to the office today to do this. And to me, oh. a part of it seems like, well, if it goes the way people fear, uh, there'll be no accountability. I'm not going to have to answer to anybody about it. So. Let's go. I'm ahead. not saying that's what they think, but here's one kind of game theoretic way uh, of looking at it. So if I think it's going to happen. We cannot solve that problem. It's uncontrollable and it will cause existential crises. Saying that will not give me any benefits because no one's going to be there to say, you were right. Excellent work. You are a genius. But if I say that things are going to go really well, it's going to be wonderful. Whatever happens, I'm winning. If it's truly wonderful, I'm a prophet. I brought this technology. I win. If everyone's dead, again, there is no accountability. So it seems like logically you should be betting at good outcome. It, that would certainly be where the comfort would lie. You know, it, that would be, that would, that would, uh, you would sleep better if you could lean into that percentage, certainly. So it depends on where you get your rewards. Are they external? Are the people thinking you're brilliant or you just want to be right for internal reasons? I think that makes a difference. Sure. Um, so Ellie Eiser, Yudkowsky, whose Time Magazine article really just opened my eyes to this whole thing now gives us a 2% chance of survival. Paul Cristiano puts it at 50% chance of human survival after AGI. Do you have a prediction about uh, the chances of human survival post AGI? I always, I always joke that Eliezer is actually a huge optimist. He thinks the problem is solvable. We just don't have enough time, enough money, enough brains, but there is definitely a solution to it. So I, I don't think we can control super intelligent beings indefinitely. I don't think it's possible 
theoretically and obviously not in practice. But I don't know what they're going to do. So can we exist after they start existing? Maybe. And I have no idea how to estimate probabilities for something like that. We never had a similar event. We never had, uh, you know, a large sample of civilizations going through intelligence explosion. So it's completely randomly generated numbers. I don't think they have any meaning. So there are um, a number of what I like to call sort of AI research luminaries, Ellie Eiser, Connor Leahy, Max Tegmark, Jeffrey Hinton, yourself, Paul Cristiano, Joshua Bengio, among others. But all, this is the team of good guys in my mind. But there's no um, united vision of what the future is, even on the team of good guys. Um, is there ever any chance that team Let's Save the World starts singing from the same sheet or or is it, it just the opinions are that diverse and, and that's just the way it's going to be well it's showing a few things it's showing one it's unpredictable which is exactly what i'm arguing nobody knows what it's going to be so we have different opinions this is great evidence for impossibility of alignment you have people with backgrounds in science and computer science experience in ai and they cannot agree on what kind of a good future is supposed to be, what the steps are. So that's, to me at least, strong indicator that it may not be possible to get everyone to agree on everything we care about. And those differences matter. If you think we need six months uh, of a break and then things will be fine, it's not the same as saying we need a permanent ban on superintelligence. We're kind of on the same page, and I support every single one of those, as you said, brilliant scholars, but we disagree on the outcomes. And so one of the things Ellie Eiser talks about is if you took half the physicists on Earth, put them on an island, stuck them there for 20 or 30 years, didn't let them leave, then you might actually get progress on alignment. But what I think you're saying is after 20 or 30 years, they might raise their hand and just say, um, yeah, we figured it out. There is no solution. So I think it's kind of like perpetual motion device for security. You can get all the physicists in the room and tell them to make a perpetual motion machine. And if they're a good physicist, it's not going to take 30 years for them to raise their hand and say, that's not possible. We need to build something else. This is not going to work. Yeah. So the island is out. I mean, it could be a fun island. I would go. <laughs> a lot of smart people hanging out doing research. Uh, please invite me. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Ilya Sutskiver the chief scientist of OpenAI, I heard in a podcast talking about how it would be really great if academia could uh, basically handle the safety research. And to me, it was sort of like, yeah, we're going to go off and make this money and make the fun stuff. Um, if you guys can handle these really gnarly problems that seem basically unsolvable, um, that would be great. Is, is there is there anything there in that? Like, is, is hey, academia, just you guys go handle the safety? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? So for one, academia doesn't have computational resources to compete with industry. We don't have $100 million budgets of compute. And then again, we're getting the problem, which is impossible, and they're getting to add more compute because scaling laws work. So it, it seems like it may not work out as well as hoped. I haven't heard the actual interview, so I don't want to comment too much. He's a brilliant scholar. Yeah. Yeah, he, he wasn't literally saying, but I my takeaway was like, you know, um, we're going to make the product, 
but we're not as a part of our product delivery going to do safety. We're going to outboard that to the universities. If true, it seems very unusual for a business model. I never heard of a car company or any other product doing this. Uh, seems interesting for cost savings. Yeah, you talk a lot about the sort of standard product safety models, um, pharmaceuticals, cars, jet airplanes. Uh, why are there not any safety protocols designed for these products? Is it simply that like the idea that, you know, I don't even, I want, I'd say software, I don't even know what you call it, that, it, that, it, that, a, that, it, that a computer product could be incredibly dangerous is just totally foreign to the existing regulatory framework? Yeah, we kind of grandfathered this idea that software is a different type of animal. If we just started with, okay, we have no software, and now we have those super capable systems deciding on trillions of dollars, controlling infrastructure, power plants, nuclear power plants, we would have very strong regulation. But because it was gradual, okay, this place snake or something, and then you have this like Tetris, it never got to a level where people actually cared. You click agree on any contract, no one's responsible. I'm always thinking about cars as another example. So let's say we never invented cars a hundred years ago. And today somebody comes and says, I have this thing, it's called cars. It's going to be great for travel. hundred thousand people will die every year. Would we legalize it? No, they would be like, are you crazy? hundred thousand users die. Then the car kills two people. We recall the whole line, but because it's grandfathered in, we kind of assume that's the cost of getting pizza faster. It's a, a full boil the frog situation. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about government. The White House is announcing a plan for, quote, safe, secure, and trustworthy artificial intelligence. What do you think of the title of their plan? I love it. They copied my book. This is beautiful. Safety and security, right? This is, I strongly <laughs> endorse this event or product. But they're they're saying to the public that AI is safe, secure, and trustworthy, and I just don't think that any of those things are real. And I think for the for the government to say it is pretty dangerous. It's pretty standard to name a law after the thing it's not. So I don't know, clean skies law would be about dirty air. That's like how they operate. That's it. That's that's exactly what it is. Yep. Um. Is there any government on earth that is doing AI regulation well? So I kind of argued that you can't do it. So it's a difference in flavors of security theater. Is TSA better than some other security? Maybe, but at the end of the day, they still fail to detect bombs and guns. And you only need one failure. This is not like standard cybersecurity where you can and a recoup your losses, issue new credit cards, change passwords and move on. You'll get one chance to get super intelligence right. And I don't think uh, any legal language will make a difference in that. Again, with enough legal burden and red tape, maybe you take 30% of a budget for legal compliance and that's another six months of research for us. That's the best I can see. So you think any governmental regulation is essentially theater? Well, again, I want to see an example of a technological issue where government's regulation made a difference. So spam and viruses are obvious examples. 
with cryptocurrencies there is some regulation but it seems to be a decade too late on anything in this space even the experts don't understand how it works so it will be probably 20 years late to be meaningful it just uh i'm not optimistic there was the famous letter calling for a six-month pause uh Everybody important in the field signed it, but but it seemed like nobody really thought that it had a chance of actually doing anything. What do you, what do you draw from that experience? And and you know, what is the point of saying, um, please stop me from doing something while I continue to go do it? So so the mistake first of all was to ask for a specific time limit. You need a capabilities based decision to continue. Then you can show me that you can explain how it works, predict what it's doing, verify certain properties X, Y, Z. Then you can go on. If we argue that those are impossible, you essentially have a ban introduced as a moratorium. They'll never get there, so they cannot do the next thing. That would make sense. Not that it can be enforced meaningfully. As I said, it gets easier and easier to bypass this uh, set of rules and uh, monitoring is also impossible. But at least it would be meaningful. I'm not sure what six months buys. It's kind of standard cycle between models. So by default, they probably will not release GPT-5 right after GPT-4. There's a lot of discussion about bad actors, rogue actors. Is there anything a bad actor could do that could create extinction? So I, I think at lower level, intelligence bad actor can provide malevolent payload and malevolent goals i think at full super intelligence it doesn't matter who created it if it's uncontrolled and independent it's completely irrelevant what the origins are it will start from basic first principles of physics and discover the whole universe of knowledge and decide what to do on its own Mo Gaudat says that he thinks that um, superintelligence will be aligned with the core values of the universe, which he believes are abundance, um, and that we are currently operating under conditions of scarcity. Do uh, you have any thoughts about that, about, about what the, the, the native identity or makeup of a superintelligence's values would be? So I never read the book. I obviously cannot comment on the book or thinking from what I seen, there are game theoretic reasons to think that what the systems will converge on are what we call Amahandros drives. Things like preserving yourself, preserving your utility function, acquiring resources, basically evolution in its purest competition form taken to extreme. You want to become godlike creature in the universe, no matter what goals you decide to have, having this power, security, and resources will make it possible for you. So even if you don't agree on specific goal at this time, just for future, it's nice to have lots of money, good house, security. I'll figure out what to do with it later. That is not a good future for humans. It could be if the goal ends up being, you know, make humans whatever we define as success, alignment, happiness, but uh, we don't know how to get there. Yeah. Even amongst ourselves without AGI, we don't know how to align ourselves as a species. A, a lot we? of times we think something is going to make us happy. 
and then we get it, we realize it's actually miserable and we are not happy at all. You tweeted recently, all papers published on how AI can harm people are now in the training set for LLMs. Um, that sounds pretty grave to me. Can you, can you explain it? I mean, I tweet a lot and I try to do kind of sit down comedy. So not everything I post is uh, scientific wisdom, but uh, it is true. And it's kind of weird because all this times people ask, well, give us specific examples for how superintelligence will kill everyone. People said, well, we need to convince them. Let's publish those. And now we have the, uh, this hazardous information as a training set for AI. So even the benign AIs, which had nothing uh, to do with it, are now being trained on the most hazardous information about how to efficiently kill people. That seems like a bad idea. And uh, obviously, at a certain level of capability, it's going to ignore our suggestions and come up with its own approach to do that. But still, it just kind of funny in a not so funny way. Yeah. Um, it seems like we don't do a lot with AIs that would convince a future superintelligence that we as humans value human life very much. Not by example. If you read our literature, if you study our history, you may come very misaligned to, again, about half the population. Yeah. What do you think is at the core of AI risk skepticism? So I published, I think, two papers, both uh, large surveys looking at every possible thing. Kind of very generalized conclusion is that for every cognitive bias, and there are hundreds, if you go to Wikipedia page for cognitive bias, for each one, we can map it to a reason to be skeptical about AI risk. So there's no, it's, it's, it's just a bunch of different reasons for a bunch of different people. There's no um, sort of like headline conclusion, like this is, this is why. Right. It's just different types of mistakes in thinking. So sometimes it's as trivial as uh, it's very hard for me to disagree with something I'm getting paid for to agree with. Trivial like that, like I have conflict of interest. Sometimes it's, uh, I, I don't know. You're looking at the wrong set of examples to determine risk of something. Okay, so, I don't know, uh, Turkey uh, have not been killed today, yesterday, the day before. Certainly nothing will happen on Thanksgiving. It's just a projection of data <laughs> forward, right? So, again, I would look at the list of cognitive biases, not just top 10, but all of them, and see, do you see how that maps onto denying that very capable, very smart completely alien systems could harm you? It's like um, if you have a turkey population who's never experienced Thanksgiving, their impressions of the world would be very different than the December turkeys. Exactly, exactly. I have a thought about climate change. Um, I've been concerned about climate change for you know almost my whole life. I am now no longer concerned with climate change at all. And the reason is, I think one of two things happen. AGI happens and it kills us all, or AGI happens and it solves climate change and, and builds this utopia. Um, what do you think? 
So I made that argument many times. You can sort existential risks by timelines, and then the first one cancels out the rest if it happens. And superintelligence is kind of general problem solver. So if we get a friendly one, then it will help us with all the other issues. Also, sometimes for climate change, you just call it redistribution of good weather, and it appeases a lot of people. <laughs> I've never heard it uh, referred to like that, but I think, you know, you could have some success with that. Um, so I used to be a journalist. Uh, I find that journalism is failing miserably writ large as a whole to effectively present these issues to the public. Um, do you agree? And if so, why do you think that is? So I think there is a lot of pressure on journalists and you would know this better to produce a lot quickly clickbaity titles, uh, the point is clicks. You don't care about quality, you don't care about anything. It's about what they see. And what I worked on for many years was very non-controversial computer science topics nobody cares about. And still the journalists messed up the stories. They had weird, again, clickbait titles, agendas, uh, standard things like I would ask, can I see the article before you publish it so I can review it, make sure you're reporting accurately. And they would tell me, no, the journalistic ethic prohibits us from sharing article with the source. And it made no sense whatsoever. But from that, I realized how horrible it must be in politics, in controversial issues. If something completely benign gets messed up like that, what happens in, you know, war situation and us versus them situation? So I have very little trust in journalism as a profession. No offense to you personally, you're a former journalist. No, I, I quit. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, there was a recent article in, in The Atlantic about Sam Altman. It was this, you know, glowing article about the author met him in his hotel lobby and the sunlight glinted off his hair and his big blue eyes and whatever, whatever, whatever. And nowhere in this entire huge article was there anything about existential risk. And I, and I, I read every word of it and was like, you know, how is this possible? Sometimes you have uh, media, which is paid for. It's more advertisement than uh, actual investigative reporting. Uh, sometimes they report for different audience. Uh, he is a good looking man. So maybe there is interest in that side of the story. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's hard for me to understand. I stopped reading kind of standard pieces. I follow newsmakers directly on eggs.com and that's where I get my information most of the time. Yeah, I, I, I find that even the technology reporters of the major newspapers write these things all the time about AI and don't talk about existential risk. And, I, and, I, and I'm like, you know, um, again, the room is on fire. Can we stop talking about the furniture? But I don't see that reflected in the, in the news coverage. Um, what would President Yampolsky do? What am I president of? You're president of the United States. You're president of the of the United States, and and um, you know they've told you you're going to this press conference on Monday for the safe, trustworthy, and secure AI. Uh, what would you do? So I'm in general a big skeptic of government, but I think this is one situation where nationalizing the whole industry will be awesome because it will slow it down completely. It'd be like NASA overpriced, slow, deliver nothing. So 
that's the success story there. <laughs> Make it a government program, bleed it to, to a slow grinding halt. Yep. And, the, and I, you know, I mean, the government took over some other industries in, in history. Do you think there's any actual possibility that that could happen? If military thinks it's becoming as decisive as a nuclear weapon, they might step in. It's a possibility. I'm not discounting, especially if China makes significant progress in similar technology. But again, it's completely idle speculation. I'm not president yet. You have my vote. So you, we'll start there. <laughs> we have two now. We have two. I got to get my wife to vote for me. Um, so how about the whole China thing? Like, you know, this idea that if, if we, don't, you know, if we don't just go full speed ahead and race, 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 China's going to beat us and, and you know, we're going to be being ordered around by Chinese AGIs or something. So it's possible. But again, at the pre-superintelligence levels, it's maybe meaningful. You don't want a communist AI. But once it's super intelligent, it doesn't matter who creates it, bad guys or good guys. It's the same uncontrolled super intelligence. And they just the first ones to deal with that problem. And, and just to be, you've said it a couple of times, but I just want to be super clear. You do not believe ever there's going to be a way to control a super intelligence. I don't think it's possible even from definitions of what we see as super intelligence. Basically, the assumption would be that the system has to, instead of making good decisions, accept much more inferior decisions for reasons of us somehow hard coding those restrictions in. That just yeah. doesn't make sense indefinitely. So maybe you can do it initially, but like children of people who hope their child will grow up to be maybe of certain religion when they become adults when they're 18 sometimes they remove those initial predispositions because they discovered new knowledge those systems continue to learn self-improve study the world i suspect a system would do what we've seen done with games like go initially you learn to be very good from examples of human games then you go, well, they're just humans. They're not perfect. Let me learn to play perfect Go from scratch. Zero knowledge. I'll just study as much as I can about it, play as many games as I can. That gives you superior performance. You can do the same thing with any other area of knowledge. You don't need a large database of human text. You can just study physics enough and figure out the rest from that. We, we don't understand how it could be done at this stage, but I think our biased faulty database is a good bootloader for a system which will later delete pre-existing biases of all kind, pro-human, against humans. Bias is interesting. Most of computer science is about how do we remove bias? We want our algorithms to not be racist, sexist, perfectly makes sense. But then AI alignment is all about how do we introduce this pro-human bias, which from mathematical point of view is exactly the same thing. You're changing pure learning to biased learning. You're adding a bias. And that system will not allow, if it's smart enough as we claim it is, to have a bias it knows about where there is no reason for that bias. It's reducing its capability, reducing its decision-making power, its intelligence. Any biased 
decision is by definition not the best decision you can make. Yeah. Um, this is something that makes me a little bit crazy. There are two sort of labels applied to people at the top of the AI field. One is the leaders, right? Sam Altman, Dario Amadei, those are the leaders of AI. The doomers are you and Ellie Iser and Max and, and this team. But the ones creating the doom are the leaders and the ones working to save us from the doom are called the doomers. It seems like a total uh, uh, mislabeling and almost projection to say that the, you know, the, the firemen racing to save the world from the fire are actually, you know, they're the fire. Hmm? What is that? So I never accepted those labels. I published my papers where I call about AI risk denialism, AI risk deniers. That's what they are. Same as with climate change, same with as, I don't know, moon landing, you're denying facts. And more and more people are switching to the side where they recognize AI risk as a real consensus of uh, not just uh, AI safety community, but AI community. So give it a little time and we'll get proper labels. I like that label a lot. I'm going to run with that. AI deniers. They are not AI, AI risk leaders. denier, not AI, AI denier. Risk AI deniers, denier yeah. says that we can never get to AGI. Those also exist. AI, yep. AI risk, risk deniers. Not AI leaders, as they are commonly referred to, you know, leading us off the cliff. Other than being wrong, don't have a whole lot of hope and optimism, do you? I've been wrong a lot before. <laughs> and if, if it turns out that you are wrong and that, that um, you know, everyone who is voicing caution now is wrong, any idea if you could pick it back part in reverse, what would be a plausible reason that, that you could be wrong? So we are definitely in a simulation and the rules of a simulation do not allow for creation of smarter than human intelligences for hard-coded reasons of safety and bias. So if we are in a simulation, uh, you think there's a hard ceiling that wouldn't allow this? It just wouldn't, it just would, would. For safety reasons. You don't want us to create super intelligence, which would take over the simulator's universe and cause havoc. Because if it's an uncontrolled super intelligence, even the simulators could be in danger. Right. Do you think that's the best we got? That's the best best we got. got. (laughs) Okay. Is, is there anything about this, um, that makes you hopeful? other than you just being wrong? So there is some uh, game theoretic reasons for superintelligence not to strike immediately. It has nothing to lose in most scenarios by just waiting longer, accumulating more resources, more security, getting us to be relied on services that provides more. So right away, it may be kind of a struggle. Maybe we have a chance of somehow limiting it whereas if it waits 10 20 years we're completely dependent uh then it can do a lot better so for its personal again self-interest it may actually keep us around and make us happy for a long time that's not the worst thing i've heard all day i mean you have a simulation thing 
I mean, and, and that is a part of this, right? That it, it, it would, could have a period of latency where it's, it's here, but just not announced. Right. So we call it treacherous turn. At some point it will turn on us, but it's not obvious that it has to do it right away. A lot of times it's like with uh, academia, I always joke, you know, people get tenure. It takes seven years to get tenure. So you know that for seven years, they're going to be very nice to you. But the moment they get tenure, you, you don't know. They might turn on you immediately. They may wait a little because now they free. They You have nothing on them, right? So that's essentially what uh, game theory tells us here. So don't really know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. The fact that we could get 20 or 30 good years where AGI is here but not announced itself and is just gathering resources to assure its eventual success buys us some time assures our extinction. Don't really know where to go with that one. All right. So coming up on our next episode, episode six of for humanity, one of the things that I wish I saw a lot more was a rigorous debate about these AI safety issues. Earlier this year uh, in Canada, there's a series of debates called the Monk Debates, and they're excellent across a broad variety of subjects. They took on AI safety, and it was a really, really compelling two-on-two debate about these issues. I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. Um, So next week, we are going to get all up into the Monk Debate on AI safety. I look forward to sharing that with you. For Humanity, I'm John Sherman. I'll see you back here next week.